I'm going to ask you if you'll look with me in the Bible to the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians. It's exactly where we left off last week. Our Route 57 students, our 5th, 6th, and 7th graders are being dismissed, and you will see some of them uh, headed out of the building as you find your way to uh, Ephesians chapter number 4. Today, I want to conclude the series we've been talking about for several weeks on the tongue. We've entitled it Untamed, and um, today my topic is Taming the Tongue with Grace. Each week, we have examined what the Bible means when it says life and death are in the power of the tongue. And our attention, for the most part, has been focused predominantly on the deadly uses of the tongue. As a matter of fact, last week we talked about the ten deadly sins of the mouth. Lying, sowing discord, gossip, slander, tail-bearing, cursing, taking God's name in vain, filthy language, contentious speech, And unbelief. And we said unbelief was a condition of the heart that manifests itself in negativity out of the mouth. Today, I want us to shift our attention today away from the destruction that our mouths can cause to the life that our mouths can create. I want us to look at the power that resides in our tongues to build up, to edify, to speak grace. It's been encouraging to me to see how this biblical study in the use of the power of words has impacted so many of our lives. I've spoken and talked with many of you directly and I've seen others conversing about it on social media, Facebook and other places. And I believe the Holy Spirit is truly changing our hearts and cleaning up our speech at the same time. But there is something that I have noticed. I've noticed it in me and I've seen it reflected in the conversations that I've had with some of you. We're trying to stop. We're trying to stop gossip, stop cursing, stop slander, stop gossip. All of the things that we have preached against that are sinful uses of the mouth, we're trying to resist them and we're trying to stop them. And while that is important, there's something much more significant that has to happen in our lives. And I thought about that. That's kind of where this message came from. This study of, okay, I thought I was done, but we've got so many people that have been ministered to by this study, this series on the use of the mouth, and we're trying with all of our self-effort to try to stop these things that we know that aren't pleasing to God. But here's the deal. You don't stop something merely by trying to resist it. You have to replace it. Changing our mouths from tools of destruction to tools of life involves more than resisting the ten deadly sins of the mouth. We have to do more than resist, we have to replace. And that's exactly what Paul told the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 4. Last week, at the end of the message, I sent you home with a little homework. I gave you a memory verse, and I know by hearing some of you quoting it or talking to you throughout the week, some of you uh, committed that verse to memory, you did your homework, and I had several of you uh, comment on it this week. I want us to look there again. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Notice Paul doesn't say, fix your corrupt speech by trying hard not to let corruption come out of your mouth. That's not what he says. He says, replace your corrupt speech with words of edification that impart grace to the hearers. Paul's message is not resisting corrupt 
speech. Paul's message is replace corrupt speech with words of edification that impart grace to the hearers. In other words, the untamable tongue is now tameable by replacing speech with grace. Grace is God's bridle for the human tongue. All my life, people have told me, don't do this or go do this. And then when I grow up and I become a pastor and I go to these uh, church conferences and I have all of these people telling me what I need to do in order to grow the church or be more effective in evangelism or more effective in discipleship, I need to do this. Or I read books and they're giving me the principles of what I need to do. And, and, and what I have learned to do is when they're telling me what I need to do, but they don't tell me how to do it, I write YBH in the margin. That's yeah, but how? And so somewhere along the way, I challenge people, give me the yeah, but how, okay? I know what I need to do. You've told me what I need to do, but give me the yeah, but how answers. Show me how. And so this message is the YBH. It is the yeah, but how to all of the things we have been talking about in the last several weeks. We've talked about gossip, taking the Lord's name in vain, and slander and lying and cursing, and, and all of those things that we use the mouth in a negative way. But how do we stop? This is the yeah, but how focus about how to bridle our tongues. I believe the last message in this series needs to be focused on life in the tongue, love expressed in the tongue, the power to build up in our mouths, the grace that can be imparted by the tongue. But in order to fully understand that, we have to see Ephesians 4.29 in its context. Okay, we used it as a memory verse, but we pulled it out of the fourth chapter uh, of Ephesians, and we just read the 29th verse. And there's greater insight into what Paul is telling us about our mouths and how to replace our corrupt speech with gracious speech when we look at this verse within its context, what Paul is saying. Because in the fourth chapter, he is talking about taking off like a garment the old sinful nature and putting on like a new garment the nature of Christ. And so I want us to look in detail at Ephesians 4. And I want to read, uh, I normally don't read a lengthy passage of Scripture, but I don't want us to hurry through this this morning. And I want you to follow. We're going to talk our way through this. And I want you to see Ephesians 4.29 in its context. And I believe there'll be some revelation that comes to our heart. Verse 17 of Ephesians 4. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Verse 20. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ And were taught in Him according to the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. To take off the old nature like a garment which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self. So you put on the new nature of Christ. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 25, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood or lying. Why? Because that was a part of the old garment. That was a part of the old self. 
Speak truthfully, because that's a part of the new garment, the nature of Christ. Speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold or an opportunity in your life. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those that are in need. So obviously there were those who had claimed to come to faith in Christ, maybe who were struggling, and in order to meet needs they weren't being honest. And Paul says you need to put off stealing because it was a part of the old nature that you took off when you came to Christ. You need to put on your new nature that is in Christ. And if you put on the new nature in Christ, then you shouldn't be stealing. You should be earning an honest wage by an honest living so that you can help meet other people's needs with the livelihood that God has provided for you. Verse 29 is then when we get to the text. Do not let any unwholesome talk corrupt or rotten language. There are different translations of that unwholesome talk. Some say corrupt communication. Some say rotten language. Come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. This is the NIV. That it may benefit, that's the word for imparting grace to those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It's amazing to me that most people who talk about grieving the Holy Spirit, especially in our context, are usually referring to it in a corporate setting where they felt like the Spirit was moving and whoever was leading the service, the song leader, the pastor, whoever was in control, grieved the Holy Spirit by not letting the Spirit have His way. But what most people don't tell you is that this conversation by Paul about grieving the Holy Spirit comes within the framework not of a corporate worship service, but putting off the old nature and putting on the nature of Christ. And it comes immediately following a verse that is talking about using our mouths with corrupt speech, but instead replacing our corrupt speech with gracious speech that edify the hearers. And then immediately after that, he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Grieving the Holy Spirit has a lot less to do with how we structure a corporate worship service and has a whole lot more to do with how we manifest the new nature of Christ that we have put on when we came to faith in Christ, especially how we use our mouths in the process. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, uh, just as in Christ, God forgave you. The last several weeks should have made one thing clear. The battle for the purity of our mouth starts in our heart. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 11, What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of a person's mouth is what defiles them. Why? Because whatever comes out of the mouth is a reflection of what is in the heart. Remember a couple months back, we did a detailed study around Easter on the gospel and what it means to believe in the gospel. It's not merely uh, being a Christian and believing in the gospel is not merely fixing bad behavior. It is living an exchanged life. We called uh, uh, believing in Jesus uh, the great but unfair exchange. It is unfair to God. It is amazingly 
beneficial and blessing to us. Why? Because he said in, in, in his letter to the Corinthian church that if we would bring him our sinful self, our sinful nature, all of our past, all of our hurts, our hang-ups and our sins, and if we would give that to him in its place, he would give us his righteousness. In other words, give me your old garments and let me give you a new nature. You give me your sinful nature and exchange it for my nature. It is the great but unfair exchange. God takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness in its place. That is the great exchange. Living the Christian life is living an exchanged life. And that's what Paul is addressing in Ephesians chapter 4. He is talking about what it looks like to live an exchanged life. Remember, go back to, look again at verse 22 and verse 24 of that same chapter. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, the old nature, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's what he's talking about, the exchanged life. And when the exchanged life happens in you, when you make that exchange, we started in verse 17 when he was talking about the Gentiles. But he said, but you, when you learned of Christ, you exchanged natures. And then he spends the rest of the time talking about how that exchanged nature ought to manifest itself in our life. In the end, the battle for the purity of our mouth is fought in our heart because out of the abundance of the heart, Scripture says, the mouth speaks. In other words, the exchanged life or the transformed heart yields a changed mouth. And Paul goes to great pains in Ephesians chapter 4, especially in verse 29, to teach us that cleaning up our mouths begins from the inside out. Now look again at verse 29. It says that, I mentioned it a moment ago, that one way to translate corrupt communication or unwholesome talk is rotten speech or rotten language. The Revised Standard Version says, let no evil talk come out of your mouth. The NIV and the NASB says, it uses the word unwholesome. Uh, the KJV says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. So what is the idea behind the words evil, unwholesome, and corrupt? I have chosen the word rotten today. I, I, I happen to like the word because the, the word from the original language that we translate evil, corrupt, all of that is sapos. That is the Greek word and it's only used in one other place in the Bible. If you'll remember, in the very beginning of this sermon series, we went to Matthew chapter 12. You remember where Jesus said, every idle word that man speaks, he will be judged for on the day of judgment. It was in that conversation in Matthew 12, 33, where Jesus says, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. He's talking about the heart. A good heart cannot bear bad fruit. The word bad fruit in the Greek there is sapos. So it means bad fruit or rotten or spoiled fruit, corrupt, evil. So, so what, the communi- what Paul's trying to get across is uh, our, when our language is spoiled, when, when our language is, 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 is corrupt or decaying or rotten, it is communicating a part of the old nature that we supposedly have put off. This kind of rotten language must be taken off of like an old garment. It is a part of the old self and needs to be stripped away when a person becomes a Christian. The garment of a rotten mouth must be taken off and thrown into the same fire that the Ephesians used to burn their books of witchcraft. If you'll remember, when you read the book of Acts, Luke was a doctor and he was a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. 
And throughout the book of Acts, you read about all of Paul's missionary journeys as dictated by Dr. Luke. And when you get to Acts chapter 19, that's where Paul preaches the gospel to the Ephesians for the very first time. They hear the gospel. Their revival breaks out. They exchange their lives. They trade their old natures and their sinful garments. They believe in Christ. They take on a new nature. And a revival breaks out in Ephesus. And there's such a move of God that happens that these people that have been caught up in sorcery and witchcraft bring all of their relics of witchcraft and their books and they burn them in a fire. And Paul is trying to get these people to understand. When you exchanged your nature, it wasn't hard for you to understand that the witchcraft had to go in the fire. But you need to understand that these words, this rottenness, this decaying speech, corrupt language coming out of your mouth is as much a part and identified with the old nature and it needs to go in the same fire that you threw your witchcraft in. Look in Acts 19.19, it'll be on your screen. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50 thousand drachmas. A drachma is a silver coin and worth about a day's wage. So they threw 50,000 days wages into a fire to burn it up. Why? Because it was easy for them to see. This light doesn't gel with this darkness. That's a part of the old me. And Paul is now writing to them later. You came to faith in the crusade. You threw away all of your devilish, demonic witchcraft. But now that you're following in an exchange life, a Christian life, your mouths are still reflecting the old garment. Put off the old garment. Put on the new nature. And replace it with what God is doing in your heart. There are some implications of having rotten speech. Um, You know, Paul would include all the ten things that we talked about last week, the deadly sins of the tongue as a part of corrupt or unwholesome or or rotten speech. And if you think in terms of spoiled fruit, spoiled or rotten meat, uh, you kind of get some ideas about what rotten language does to our life. Uh, Number one, it doesn't nourish us. A rotten fruit doesn't nourish, neither does rotten language. It doesn't strengthen, improve, or help. Number two, it'll probably make you sick. Not only will it not nourish you, it could make you sick in the same way rotten language wounds and hurts and sucks the life out of a marriage, a family, a business, a a church. Um, It it, it reaps destruction. Number three, it smells bad and makes the atmosphere unpleasant. Um, uh, Just the other day, one of my uh, kids went into the refrigerator, one of my my sons, and opened the door and, and came back and said, Dad, something is rotten in that refrigerator and I went over there and opened it and um, it was a cantaloupe uh, that had been in there and I don't like cantaloupe so even when cantaloupes are good they smell rotten to me okay but this cantaloupe had been in the refrigerator a little long and when you open the door the entire room stunk like cantaloupe it's unpleasant and that's that's exactly what rotten language coming out of your mouth will do to the entire environment do you remember Pigpen in the Charlie Brown cartoon? He was the spitting image of Charlie Brown, and yet he had this cloud that followed him everywhere he went. I mean, there was like this 12 to 24 inch circumference of little dust particles.
wrinkles from the dirt that was around him. And when I think of people that are corrupt in their speech and the way they impact an environment with their language, the rottenness of our lives is like this filth that surrounds pig pen. It is unpleasant to any environment. And number four, you know, if you think in terms of rotten fruit, it does not nourish. It will probably make you sick. It smells bad and makes the atmosphere unpleasant. And another way that rotten language is like rotten fruit is it probably comes from a diseased tree. If fruit comes on the moment it buds out and it is rotten from the moment it buds out, it is more than likely it is not a healthy fruit because it comes from a diseased tree. And that's what Jesus was saying. Bad fruit cannot come from a good tree and good fruit cannot come from a bad tree. He says in that same chapter, Matthew chapter 12, for, uh, verse 34, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will give, have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. So if a person takes the name of God in vain, or they slander, or they lie, or they gossip, um, we, we, we say that there is a rottenness inside the tree as well as the outside. In other words, if the fruit is bad, the root is bad. And we spend so much time focusing on the fruit... And we don't spend enough time focusing on the root. And what Paul is saying in Ephesians 4 is we need to deal with the root. That's why he's talking about the exchange nature. It's not moral correction. This is not behavior modification. If we put off the old nature and we have taken on and put on the nature of Christ, that means the root has changed in the core of our being and it ought to be reflected in our mouth. If we see this, we'll see a whole new way of thinking about our language and we won't be surprised why Paul says what he says next in the text. We might expect Paul to admonish us to clean up our language. You know, you might, he might say, resist our corrupt speech uh, by using words that are not vulgar, by using words that are not rotten, that are using words that are not corrupt, but use pure and wholesome and creative and clear words. But Paul didn't do what we expect him to do. Instead of proposing to clean up our language by cleaning up our language, he proposes a whole new way of thinking about language. Instead of saying you don't need corrupt or rotten speech to communicate your intentions, he says the root issue is what is your intention? We need to get to the core. Is your intention love? Because when you put on the new nature of Christ and He put His nature in you, the intention of His nature is love. The intention of His nature is to build up. The intention of His nature is to serve. The intention of His nature is to edify. So the issue is not behavior modification for your mouth. It is not a moral filter for your mouth. The issue is what is the intention of your heart. In other words, the issue for Paul is not really language at all. The issue is love. The issue is not whether our mouth can can avoid rotten language. The issue is whether our mouth can in turn be a means of grace. He shifts from the external fruit to the internal root. He shifts from the what to the why. Because the real issue is, is the intention and motivation of our heart love. Listen to the verse again. Ephesians 4.29 Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification translated meeting a need in some versions, 
that it may impart grace to the hearers. I hope you see the shift. He doesn't say, let no rotten talk come out of your mouth, but instead let clean talk come out of your mouth. He says, let no rotten talk come out of your mouth, but reflect and ask yourself these questions. Is my mouth a means of grace? He's not just saying resist. He's saying replace. Is my mouth a means of grace? Am I meeting a need in somebody's life with the words that are coming out of my mouth? Am I building up faith in the lives of those who hear me talk? This is a revolutionary way for us to think about our mouth just like verse 28 is a revolutionary way of thinking about our secular employment. I want you to back up one verse and look at the revolutionary way Paul tells you to look at your job. In verse 28, Paul says this, Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands. Okay, now notice that. And then he says that they may have something to share with those in need. He said, those of you who have taken Christ as Lord of your life, and you have put off the old nature and you have taken in the exchange the nature of Christ, then stealing is not an option. I know life may be tough and times may be hard and you're stealing to make ends meet. But if you've got the nature of Christ in you, you won't steal. You'll have an honest job, you'll earn an honest wage. But notice what he says. He shifts from the job to telling them from the what, now to telling them why. The new nature in Christ gives them an honest job to earn an honest wage for what? That they may have something to share with those in need. In other words, it is not Christian to stop stealing. It is not Christian just to work honestly in order to have things. It is Christian to work in order to give to meet other people's needs. I want you to see the full ramification of the gospel. It is not behavior modification. Paul says, when you exchange your life, what we focus on, stop stealing. Because when you're a Christian, you don't steal. Obviously, that's true. But Paul says, if that's where you stop, you stop short of the gospel and genuine transformation. If you take Christ on in your life, you will get a job and work to stop stealing, not just because stealing is bad, but because you'll understand God provided your employment for the Christian thing to meet the needs of other people. Do you see the all-encompassing far-reach of the gospel in our life? And so he uses that same analogy of how our employment is to meet other people's needs to the very same thing in verse 29 about our speech. Don't let any corrupt speech come out of your mouth, but replace it with grace. And let the words that come out of your mouth be edification to meet the needs to other people. In part, so that the hearers will hear grace that comes out of your mouth. All of our secular work is to be a display of grace. All of our speech is to be a display of grace. Um, He shifts from the what to the why and says the edification out of our mouth is to meet a need and impart grace to those who hear. It is not Christian to just stop swearing. It is not Christian to just put good language in your mouth. It is Christian to ask the deeper internal question, am I seeking to edify with my mouth? What is the intention of my heart? Is my mouth a means of grace? Look at the all-encompassing impact of the Christian faith in our lives. It is not a Sunday morning segment 
or a one-day compartment in my life, taking off the old garment of sin and putting on the new nature of Christ impacts every aspect of my entire life. These are amazing verses about the grace of God exhibited in our lives. A Christian is a person whose rotten root from within has been made new by the grace of God in faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The grace of God has taken the hate and the anger and resentment that spill over in mean and vulgar and irreverent language and has covered them with the blood of Christ and killed them along with our old unbelieving selves. And you know what the grace of God is left behind? Listen, it's not just in resisting. It is replacing What did the grace of God leave behind when when He came into our lives? He replaced the hate with hope. I want you to look in that context. I want you to look in verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God in whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What does it mean? It means that the Christian is a person in whom the Holy Spirit of God dwells. And the Spirit seals you as a son or daughter of God for the day of redemption. In other words, the the Spirit of God puts the stamp of God's image upon your life and guarantees that you will persevere to the day of redemption as His child. The seal of the Spirit is the assurance of a secured hope that we have in our life. The hope of all believers guaranteed by the seal of the Spirit is at the end of history we will not face a day of damnation but a day of redemption. And what is the day of redemption? In the long battle of this life, in this long battle of sin will be settled. It will be over. All that I have believed will be fulfilled. It is a day when the deepest longings of our heart will be satisfied. No longer will I look through a glass dimly but then I will see Him face to face. There will be no more wrestling with imperfection. No more waiting. No more frustrated longings. Our redemption will be made complete at the day of redemption. So, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God in whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Well, what does that have to do with my speech? Make the connection. It follows verse 29 on purpose. Paul says, The Spirit has been given to seal us and secure us for an infinitely wonderful future. In other words, the Spirit's sealing aims to give us hope. How do I grieve the Spirit? By not hoping in the day of redemption. By not hanging on to the power the Spirit gives me to trust God in this life. If the Holy Spirit has been sent to give me hope, and instead of hoping in God, I fret over my problems and I become angry and bitter and resentful, then I grieve the Spirit. I strive against the very purpose for which the Spirit came. And the language that come out of my heart when I'm striving with anger and resentfulness and bitterness about life situations, the language that comes out of my heart does not hope in God and it will not impart grace to those who hear me. So how can my mouth be a means of grace for others when I don't hope in the grace of God for myself? It is out of hopeless hearts and discouragement and frustration and anger and bitterness and resentment that all of our rotten communication comes from. But if you're a believer and you stop and think for a moment of what Christ has done for you, 
He's died for your sin. And God has promised to work all things together for your good. He has given you His own Holy Spirit as the specific purpose of sealing you for the day of redemption. There is surely, in that light, there surely must be a a confident hope in the root of your life. And up through that confident hope in what He has done for you will flow a sap of grace that will bring life to the branches of your life and will bear productive, righteous, God-honoring fruit in the areas of your life, including the way we use our mouths. The question for your mouth will not merely be the moral question. Am I avoiding the deadly sins of the mouth? Because if you're anything like me, if it's all about resisting, the more you try to resist, the more you want to do whatever you're resisting. I mean, I, don't even be t- I may not even be tempted to do something. The minute somebody tells me I can't do it, it's the, the minute I want to do it. I've been that way since I was a kid. Don't go over there. Well, that makes me, don't touch that hot stove. And I don't want to go touch it and see if it's really hot. That's our sin nature. We're like that as adults. I mean, if if I've been so busy for three days, I hadn't even stopped to eat lunch, never even thought about it, didn't miss it. The the minute I call a fast, I'll starve through lunch. (laughs) When you simply just try to resist something that makes you want it all the more, you have to do more than resist it. You have to replace it. And the question for our mouths is not merely the moral question, am I avoiding the deadly sins of my mouth? The Christian question is, am I building the faith of others by what I say? Is my mouth a means of grace? Am I frightened and anxious and angry about my life? Or am I filled and overflowing with hope that the Spirit of God will keep me safe for the day of redemption? And if so, is that hope in me being validated by the words coming out of my mouth? Is the root of Christ's nature being reflected in the fruit coming out of my mouth? The YBH. Yeah, but how? I'm not supposed to commit all these ten deadly sins of the mouth. Yeah, but how? How How do I keep? Not by trying not to, but by living in the power that is available to you in the exchange that you made. Jesus lives in you. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you. And that's what Paul was saying to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 4. Your work should be a reflection of something transformational. It's not just stop stealing. Get a job to meet other people's needs. It's not just stop committing the deadly sins of the tongue. Use your mouth to meet people's needs. Gracious speech. Don't resist. Just resist. Replace with gracious speech. You know, I'm excited. I know we have so many small groups that are going on with unbelievable studies of growth and and we're going to be able to put a lot of these things into practice. Some of our men get together tonight in a group that kicks off where we're going to learn how to use our mouths to edify, bless our kids, our wives. For young men that are not even married, we're going going to show them how to, to write a blessing over the woman they haven't even met yet and the child that that will come later in life or or for me my my daughter on her wedding day uh, that's years away better be years away <laughs> and I, I i um you know i to haley's at our garland campus today working with some ministry there but you know i will have been married to her 19 years tuesday and uh, uh and i'm excited about that and i'm kind of nervous i'm nervous because next year's 20 and um and she told me when we first 
started dating. I, we were in college and got married, and, and so I, I paid $39 a month at Zales on a, on, a, on a diamond you had to look at under a microscope. And, um, and she said, that's fine, Brian, on our 20th anniversary, um, you can get me a red flyer wagon. I said, you want a red flyer? Why do you want a red flyer wagon? She said, because I want a diamond big enough. I had to pull around in the red flyer wagon. And you have no excuse because I'm giving you a 20-year advance notice, all right? Well, that day of reckoning is one year from now, so I think I'm just going to get her the, the, the wagon. And uh, so, you know, I'm ready to, I, I'm going to take this time in our group tonight and these words that God is speaking. I want, I want to bless her. I want to I I speak life to her. And, um, uh, and I, I want to challenge you to ask God, Lord, don't just help me resist the corrupt stuff that comes out of my mouth. Help replace it with gracious speech. Fix me at the root and let the nature of Christ bear fruit in my life. I want us to, to stand if we can. And I'm going to ask our prayer team to make themselves available for prayer, if you will. Um, we, we had a, an awesome uh, expression last um, week at the end of this service. Prayer team, if you would, would you come? And... We had an awesome expression of faith at the end of this service last week. Um, a young lady from California, not been a believer, heard me say, the greatest thing you will ever use your mouth for is the confession of your mouth to follow Jesus Christ. The, mouth, the confession of the mouth and the heart go hand in hand. Confess with the mouth, believe in the heart, and you will be saved. I believe powerful things happen in moments just like this. When the word has been preached, our hearts are open to respond to that word. And uh, I believe miracles can happen. Whether it's the miracle of salvation that happened in Stephanie's life last week. Or a miracle that can happen in all of your hearts right now. Don't miss a miracle today. I'm going to pray a blessing over you. And... Um, at the end, we're going to keep this environment worshipful and prayerful. And whether it's prayer from the prayer team, we have instructed these people to speak life. I know there may be death being spoken by your family, your situation, and negativity and unbelief and every aspect and dimension of your world. We want this stop in your calendar to be a place where the Word of God is spoken and life is spoken into your situation. We're not going to deny that the devil is real and the giants are real and the mountains are real, but we are going to declare that our God is bigger than whatever mountain you carried into this place. And we're going to make sure that the prayers we pray are grace imparted to the hearers. If you need grace imparted into your situation today, we're available to agree with you. Father, I pray that you would bless them and keep them. That you would make your face shine down upon them. That you would be gracious to them. That you would turn your countenance their direction. And that you would give them peace. And may you speak through us and through the Holy Spirit. And through your words speak life into their hearts. Grace. And may our hearts and life be noted and known for our gracious speech. In Jesus name. Amen.